You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White and Blue podcast. I am still not Oz Davis and I still haven't figured out how to become him. So until then, or when he comes back, it's another guest host this week. And this week it's Andrew Buckholz from Awful Announcing, The Comeback, and a lot of other places. Andrew, thanks for joining me this week. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, so this was a good week to catch you because it sounds like you caught a lot of the games. And I did catch you before uh, college football started and LSU got in the way. So um, I hear they have a big one coming up this next weekend, but we won't spend a lot of time on that. But I'm sure you're looking forward to uh, a little bit a little bit of football uh, close to where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, always follow college football around here. LSU is interesting, and uh, I'm actually I'm quite into Tulane at the moment uh, as well. I live in uh, New Orleans and uh, live right down the street from them. They had a, just an incredible season last year, so they're a fun team to follow. I was today years old when I realized they were in what the which bowl were they in last year? Uh, um, what, what was it? The one uh, they beat USC, uh, but uh, which bowl? That was, yeah, they beat USC 46-45. It was just an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah, I forget um, if it was the Orange Bowl or the Sugar Bowl. Or, uh, yeah, it, it was one of the bowl games that didn't matter. A Cotton Bowl. It was a Cotton Bowl. Cotton Bowl. So, okay. Yeah. It was one of the big games that used to matter a lot more before the playoffs. Yes. Out, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which yeah. shows you how much, how thoroughly the CFL has destroyed my ability to follow college football. So. <laughs> yeah. But on to what everybody is listening to us for, for the most part. Um, I got to sit and enjoy the Winnipeg Blue Bombers thoroughly demolishing Montreal. And I couldn't, uh, I, I was, I was very surprised, A, that Zach came back and made the mistakes he made. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the team was just like, okay, fine. You just, you, you make those mistakes. We'll, we'll take care of it. Cause I believe Montreal's offense has played, they, the season series is over and Montreal's offense scored six points total on Winnipeg this year. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, that was definitely the story of this one, even with those three interceptions from Zach Caleros. I mean, uh, the Montreal offense just didn't do anything. And it's not even just the points, it's yardage totals. I mean, when your quarterback's throwing for 137 yards and no touchdowns, your top running back, one of the better running backs in the league by most measures, he's only running for 32 yards. That's not going to lead to a lot of success. No, and and Cody was and Cody Fajardo was uncomfortable the whole game, and the when and the Montreal offensive line had just had no answers. Yeah, and I mean, and that's always an interesting thing too, right? Of course, like we we talk about the quarterback stats, we talk about the running back stats, and whatever, but the line play does matter so much, and this was definitely a case where the Winnipeg defense was the dominant force in that game. Yeah, and then and then to top it off, the Winnipeg offense just bounced back every single time a big mistake would happen. The next drive, the Winnipeg offense would just go, okay, our turn, and put points back on the board. Uh, Brady Oliveira got involved 
early and often. Usually he's been used to close out games, but in this case, it was a nice change of pace right off the top to get the pressure off of Zach. Absolutely. I mean, uh, what really stands out to me there is with both him and Johnny Augustine, who also did well under six carries, but uh, they're both averaging over six yards a carry. And uh, Greg McRae uh, averaged 5.7 on his free carries. So when you're running the ball that efficiently and that effectively, not only do you find success on those plays, but you really make the other team guard against it. And that then opens up plays in the, in the passing game. And I I think uh, Brady Olvera has been really good for Winnipeg over the last little while. And it definitely gives them another dimension there and an important dimension on nights when Zach Caleros is making some mistakes and throwing some interceptions. Yeah. And just going back, he was the replacement for Andrew Harris. Mm -hmm. Andrew Harris used to be the cornerstone of the offense. They're not Mm -hmm. asking Brady Oliveira to do that, but in this case, he was able to be that when they needed him to be. Absolutely. And I think he certainly has that kind of potential. Uh, I think, yeah, he's not at the level necessarily that Andrew Harris had his absolute best was at at the moment, but uh, I don't think it's impossible that he could reach that. And certainly in games like this, where he puts up that kind of performance and that kind of efficient performance, it, there there could be a lot ahead for Radio there. And believe me, I'm, all for it uh on the other side of the ball what do you make of montreal this year they are beating the teams that they're expected to beat but Mm -hmm. they're not even coming close against the teams that they aren't expected to beat yeah i think they've in some ways been surprisingly good i think i don't know that i would have predicted six and four for them at this point in time but I think some of that is teams in their division in particular being weaker than expected. I was expecting a lot more from Hamilton this year. Uh, Hamilton came into this year with a, with a lot of buzz, a lot of hype, especially Bo Levi Mitchell and so on. And just they have not lived up to that. And Ottawa's had flashes, but they've generally looked real, real rough this year. And then uh, and then if you, even if you look over at the West, I mean, Calgary has taken such a step back from what everybody sort of expected for them. So I think you're right that it's not just Montreal improving a big part of it's who they're playing. And if, and I think an important thing to look at there too, and that often in the CFL is not just win and loss record, but the points, the points for and against Montreal is plus 15 on the year. And so, I mean, that that's a lot of close games. I mean, there, there are one game over 500. That's probably about right. But it's not like they're putting up dominant perform- performances or so on. They're pretty close in most of the games they've been in, whether they're winning or losing. Yeah, it's been a few years since I dug into Pythagorean theorem with the CFL. But I agree, I definitely agree with using that as a metric as we go. Uh, you did mention Calgary, and we'll get into our next game here. I, and, and yes, they there's been something off from them this year, but I've been looking back at things. And I feel like I've been slightly rough on them, considering that they're now just losing the games they used to win. They're Mm -hmm. playing a lot of close games this year. I think they've had two games where they weren't really in it at the end, but they just aren't getting the results at the end of the game like they used to. 
Absolutely. Well, I think this is a funny one. If, if you look at the box score, you would probably think it had gone the other way. I mean, Jake Meyer had maybe one of the best performances he's ever put up, throwing for 387 yards and four touchdowns. Now, granted, I mean, a lot of that came a little later in the game. They didn't score at all in the first quarter. But this was a good offensive showing from Calgary. You've got you've got those passing numbers. You've got Reggie Bagleton with 203 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. Like, that's a lot of the high-powered aerial offense that we had seen from Calgary over a lot of the last decade and really hadn't um, this year so far. And yet it still it still wasn't enough. And I think that says some impressive things about this Toronto team too, in that it's not just how many games they've won this year, it's how they managed to find ways to win, even against some really good performances like this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It, and we, and we hammered on Calgary early in the season for not throwing the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. They're starting to, they're starting to get some results, but it just feels like they're lacking one more playmaker. Although they are getting players like Richard Bagleton back, they got Mark Michelle off of the out of the NFL. They're starting to put some pieces back together, but it, it might. It, it's probably it only halfway through the season it's not too late for them to have a turnaround but i'm wondering if it's in the cards yeah well i think the i think the thing there too is they're streaky like we talked um i mentioned they didn't score at all in the first quarter they also didn't score at all in the fourth quarter of that game so they put up 31 points in two quarter two quarters of a game half of a game and i think we've seen that with them a little more widely this year really of there's times when this looks like the old stampeders what everybody expects from the stampeders but there are more times when it doesn't and that's why they only have three wins this year yeah, they they've left. I, I would say they've left three games that they should have had, uh, just on the field. Uh, now Toronto, on the other hand, now Toronto did take a loss to Calgary earlier this year. That was one of the games that Calgary showed their best effort. Toronto had injuries in that game. They also had injuries in this game. This time on the defensive side, and the def- defensive secondary got shredded throughout the game. Which may have helped Calgary out, but the offense was up to the task. Absolutely. And I think to me, that's the biggest surprise of this CFL season is how seamlessly Chad Kelly has slotted in as the number one quarterback and how well he has done. There was, I mean, there was so much hype about him. There were so many hype about him and so many stories about him while he was their backup and he really hadn't proven anything in the CFL to that point. But this year, he's really making a lot of people believe. And this wasn't his greatest game. He did have the two picks, but he made a lot of important, critical plays. He threw for 361 yards, three touchdowns, and um, ran for another touchdown. And just really, I think he's he's continuing to show off a lot of how his skills are well-suited to the CFL. He's very good when the pocket breaks down. He's very good at getting outside and either running with it or making a throw on, on the run. Uh, he, he's very adaptable. He isn't always locked in on his first read. And he, he's a guy, and I think there's a, maybe an interesting thing there too, and we've talked about this a lot over the years, but Adjusting to the CFL game is hard, especially for a quarterback. There's so much that's different with the the bigger field with 12 guys on offensive, defensive uh, sides and how that affects coverage and so on. 
I think it it was very beneficial for Chad Kelly to come into this league not as a day one starter, for him to be there and, and to learn from some really good quarterbacks and some really good coaches and sort of figure things out before he had to step up into this role. And now that he is, he, he's he's really looking good. Yeah, and the hype that was surrounding him last year and into this year had me had my guard up a little bit about it mm-hmm. because we've seen that so many times with a big name player from the US getting all the attention before he's shown anything on a CFL field and we usually usually that ends in failure this time it hasn't mm-hmm. it sure hasn't and i mean and some of it is toronto putting him in good positions to succeed i mean we already talked about how he got the time to fill but they've got a good roster around him I really, I love what AJ Ouellette is doing in the running game. He always just seems to come up with such a big play at such the right moment. And uh, he's a guy who's really good at like, um, he can take that first contact and still keep powering a lot of the time. So he's been very impressive. I love their receiving core. Uh, Tavares Daniels, obviously very great. Uh, Curly Giddens has shown some really impressive things. Uh, Demonte Cox, he, he had a great game here. So, uh, and then just, they've put, uh, the defense had a rougher game here, but it's been generally pretty good this year. The line has generally been pretty good. So th- there's a lot to like about Toronto. And I mean, I think that the thing that's going to be interesting is how it stacks, how much of that is how good they are and how rough the rest of the East is. But uh, I think they are doing a lot of things well. That they are. And I say it almost every week, but I'm impressed with Ryan Dinwoody. I think he's done mm-hmm. a great job. And he and he's clearly a quarterback whisperer because he's gotten the best out of any quarterback he's had his hands on seemed to perform. Absolutely, and uh, I think I mean we were just talking about NCAA guys who come in come in with a little bit of hype as quarterbacks. But to me, what's really impressive is that Ryan Dinwiddie has stuck it around in the CFL and has become this famed coach because his playing start was the roughest imaginable. Right, of him coming in in the Grey Cup after that injury to Kevin Glenn and promptly throwing three interceptions and all to the same guy. And and like for a lot of people, I think that would be. I'm I'm out so long, Cat. I'm going I'm going back to to four down football. But Ryan Dinwoody uh, had a very good NCAA career. Had um, he stuck it out after that rough start to the CFL? He's become a very good coach and worked his way up through the CFL ranks. And I think in a lot of ways that's really important too. Of it's not just like a lot similarly to the quarterbacks it's you hire the big name guy from the ncaa that often doesn't work out well as a head coach another I, boise another boise state dan yeah. hawkins and yeah, then they follow yeah. up dan hawkins, Sherman, and then we just go on and on and on yes he was able to be brought up in the cfl game instead of being said here here is the team good luck and I, I think what's interesting there, too, is that so in the NFL, we're seeing so many guys sort of in that mold, uh, guys who have like they they were the uh, they were quarterback, then they were quarterback coach, then offensive coordinator, then a head coach. We really aren't seeing that as much with the current crop of CFL head coaches. And I think Ryan Dinwiddie is very interesting on that front is that he fits with sort of these guys we're finding who are finding success in the NFL with really um, not just not just offensive backgrounds, but very quarterback focused offensive backgrounds. And I'm curious to see if we see more of that with the success that Ryan Dinwiddie is having. 
you'd almost you'd almost think that that would be the way to go for a CFL team because it's such a quarterback centric league, maybe even more so than the NFL. Yeah, in some in some ways it is, and I th- I think even beyond, I mean, in some ways there's more emphasis on passing because of the free downs, but I think even beyond that, I, I think there's more importance. I think it's more difficult to find even passable quarterback play to good quarterback play. And like, it's hard in the NFL too. I mean, the NFL gets this all the time, especially when they start to run into injuries and so on, but there are so many good, um, good college football quarterbacks out there who then turn into NFL quarterbacks or are hanging around on practice rosters or even like, Every once in a while, there's guys who come in from next to nowhere who haven't been doing anything notably for the last little while, and they'll come in and they'll they'll make sort of a mark. I mean, like, it's not quite that bad, but look at the Brock Purdy story with San Francisco recently, right? He's a guy nobody really expected anything from, and all of a sudden, he's now the starting quarterback on a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. I think it's a lot harder in the CFL because there's what we were talking about of that adjustment to the the twelve aside game, the adjustment to a bigger field, the adjustment to a free to free downs. It's very difficult to find even a competent CFL quarterback, and in a lot of cases, to get one, it's a guy who's been hanging around this league for a few years. I mean, there's a reason why so many of the starting quarterbacks at the moment are names everyone knows, even if they aren't necessarily where that where they were a couple of years ago. So I, I think it, it there does need to be um, a lot of importance on offensive scheme, on developing quarterbacks. And I think it's going to be really important for coaches not to just develop their starter, but they really need to spend some time working with these backups and developing guys and finding who's going to take over when this current wave of starting quarterbacks isn't there. Right. Because there's been so many quarterback injuries this year or Mm. quarterbacks being benched for poor play to see Mm. what the next level has. Uh, And what makes all of this even harder is that, of course, the NFL gets first crack at the talent. So you're left with what the NFL doesn't want or hasn't found. And the only thing that makes that any easier is that we've proven over the past 100 years that the NFL doesn't always get it right when it comes to their talent, too. I mean, we're talking about, we. you brought up Brock Purdy. Trey Lance was in that draft, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And they're keeping mm-hmm. the guy that they drafted last instead of the guy <laughs> they drafted third overall. So that should mm-hmm. tell you what an inexact science this is, which, mm-hmm. give, which, makes it, which makes it possible for the CFL to have the talent they have absolutely and i think there are a couple of things in the cfl's favor when it comes to quarterbacks i mean it is hard yes the nfl is always going to get the top or the top guys and so on but i think one thing is that even though the nfl game has shifted more to spread concepts shotgun concepts and so on the cfl game is still more that way and in particular i think the cfl game is still friendlier to the guys who who are in college are termed dual threat quarterbacks than the nfl game is and we see that with so many of them with even like a a trey lance to some to some degree but with a bunch of other guys there's still always the questions about them in the draft of, well, can they play in the NFL style offense or whatever, right? And I think 
the NFL is very much going to go after the top of those guys and is still going to get all of them, even if they're not the perfect schematic fit or whatever. But I think if you go a little further down and you find guys who aren't really looked at by the NFL so much, but put up very good sort of mobile quarterback, dual threat stats in college, I think a lot of those guys can do well in the CFL. The other thing that I think that teams really should explore more, especially after seeing what Trey Ford is doing in Edmonton this year, I think they should look at guys from the Canadian university ranks and yeah like they're absolutely not of course they're not as highly ranked as highly regarded they didn't play against the same level of competition or whatever but they don't have the hurdle of having to try to learn canadian football they don't have to sit there for a a while figuring out oh how do i play a 12-man game how do i read the coverage in a 12-man game they've already made the wide side throw that no quarterback should make that you always see the rookie cfl quarterback make the looping long out and then it's like oh i'll never make that throw again they've done (laughs) that already yeah yeah, exactly. And I mean, and I think I think an important thing there, and I think the CFL has done some good things on this front. I think it's been positive to see the internships for Canadian quarterbacks that teams have gone to with training camps and so on. But I think there's a lot more you could do here. And I think in particular, there's room for these guys as your second or third quarterback on a roster, just getting getting oh, yeah. some practice reps, getting that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, when your starter goes down to an injury, well, now you're not throwing in a guy who is in the NCAA two weeks ago or in the, the NFL two weeks ago or whatever, right? You've got somebody who at least has an understanding of the Canadian game and can maybe give you a game manager performance. And I think in a, I think a good place for that is you're seeing CFL teams use the third quarterback that they have to dress mm-hmm. as your short yardage quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to find a guy from U Sports or even a Canadian that's gone down to the NCAA to be that third quarterback, you're killing two birds with one stone. You have your short yardage quarterback and then you're also developing a quarterback that could step in uh, in an emergency. We've already broken the glass with Trey Ford. We've already broken the glass with Nathan Rourke. I'm hoping we see more of it. Absolutely. And I mean, and the real way to see more of it which i've been harping on for a decade plus is i really think they need to fix the roster rule or at least give you some incentive for having a canadian quarterback there because and uh, i mean people always bring up uh, um, objections to that and some of them are fair but i think the thing i think it could be very good for the canadian game from a perspective of the game from a perspective of the level of quarterback play to have some guys who understand Canadian football being thrown in there, especially after injuries. So I don't think it's just a marketing thing. I don't think it's just like, oh, here, let's appeal to the Canadians. I think we're seeing with guys like Trey Ford and Nathan Rourke, there are incredible Canadians out there playing this position. And I would love to see the CFL incentivize that a little bit more. Yeah, and so rolling into our next game, Hamilton at BC, we've mm-hmm. seen Taylor Powell's been taking a lot of reps as the Hamilton quarterback because of all mm-hmm. the injuries they've had. Mm-hmm. He's from the NCAA as recently as last year, I believe. He's starting to at least start to show some development. Um, but again, it might have behooved Hamilton to have somebody with a little bit more experience in the Canadian game. You wouldn't know it from watching the game this week, though, because it looked like Hamilton had things in hand pretty pretty well from the get-go. 
Absolutely. Yeah, this was a very good game for Taylor Powell. And what really stands out to me uh, and what I really look at with um, newer CFL quarterbacks in particular is the completion percentage, because I, I think that's so important for indicating how well you get this game. And yeah, sometimes it's not. Um, and especially when you're a guy who's only in there, thanks to injury or whatever, your your playbook isn't going to be a lot necessarily of deep shots of go routes of that. It's going to be, hey, what can we do to keep moving the ball down the field? And I think Taylor Powell Powell did that very well this week. 18 completions, 23 attempts, 222 yards. That's not huge, but a touchdown and no interceptions. That's exactly what they asked of him. And uh, per the NCAA point, uh, yeah, he, he was there last year with, with Eastern Michigan. And I think where you can find a lot of success with NCAA guys, I think it, it, it's been shown over the last decade plus it's often not the guys from the power five from the biggest conferences. It, like the CFL finds so much success with guys out of the Mac in particular, where he's Eastern Michigan plays because it's a good level of football. It's often guys who have some familiarity with the CFL because so many players from there have come up here over time and a bunch of coaches there also have connections to the CFL and so on. And I think a lot of quarterbacks in particular, if you're, play, if you're playing at a Florida or an Ole Miss or whatever, I think when you come out of college, you maybe have a little more, oh, I know how this is going to work. I, I, I know everything I need to know. I think the guys from uh, Eastern Michigan are maybe a little more willing to adapt and to learn. And I think that really helps in changing to the CFL game. Yeah. And then I'm having trouble figuring out what BC, what, what is happening with BC because I'm wondering if Winnipeg exposed something on them a few weeks ago. Where if the pass rush is at least neutralized, they don't have a whole lot left. And then they're stuck with having their offense have to have to catch you, have to keep up blow by blow. And they're capable of it, but not all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, yeah, B BC has looked very good for a lot of this year, but they certainly didn't look good here, especially for a game at home. And I do think there's an interesting thing that, there, too, that I often bring up. But um, BC, in a lot of ways, has a great home field advantage just because of the time zone. And mm -hmm. they've done very well out of that over the years against these division teams. It's hard to go get adapted to play in BC. But this this was sort of the reverse of that, where the Eastern team looked really comfortable and the Lions did not. I think you're right that uh, their pass rush stalled out. They weren't. And I think part of that was a very successful plan from the Tiger Cats, like we were talking about with Powell. They weren't taking deep shots. They were doing a lot of short, quick, easy stuff. And that makes it harder on the pass rush. And I think maybe BC should have adapted their plan a little more and, and maybe been a little less aggressive trying to trying to get to him when they were just so focused on getting the ball up quick. But on offense, BC does continue to be a little streaky. And I think Vernon Adams Jr., he's certainly like he's he's a very proven quarterback at this point, but he still has a lot of he has a lot of highlight real moments, and then he has some moments that aren't as great. And I, I'd like to see a little more just consistency from him sometimes. And sort of some of what we, what we were talking about with Powell of what I think BC on the offense, sometimes they 
they tend to go for the kill shot a little too much when they don't necessarily have to. And I think there there are times where they could just keep the ball moving, keep getting first downs, and and take the deep shot when it's there rather than forcing it. And I think in particular when they start to when they start to fall behind a bit in games, they maybe go into that a little too much and get a little too desperate to catch up. It's it's a long game. You can yeah. nickel and dime it and, and, and work it and, and it happens too early in games where they're starting mm-hmm. to because that's exactly what happened when they played Winnipeg a few weeks ago too with uh, with Dane Evans. Uh, they got behind early because Winnipeg hit a couple kill shots right off the hop. And then that's all BC tried to do to catch up. It's like mm-hmm. kill shot. And they had found ways to move the ball against Winnipeg the first time around. Mind you, the defense was helping them out immensely and mm-hmm. weren't able to do it the second game because Winnipeg schemed very well for it. The extra offensive lineman seemed to be a signal to the rest of the CFL. Hey, if you can get the pass, if you can neutralize the pass rush, you got him. And I think that's been happening. Uh, but the whole game, it was just deep shot after deep shot. And Dane Evans kept getting exposed to big hits. And mm-hmm. by the middle of the second quarter, the game was over for Evans and for the Lions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a wider thing in the CFL. And we've seen that so much over the years, like, no lead really is safe most of the time, right? It's not that like, oh, you're down by 14 in the second quarter, the game's over. There are so many chances where, uh, so many instances where you just, you take those little chances, you keep chipping, you keep chipping, and all of a sudden you're inside the final three minutes and you're right there. And you've got a chance now. You you get two scores in three minutes. Mm -hmm. You can't get six. Yeah, yeah. All right. So going on to the final game of the last week, uh, Edmonton finally breaking the home losing streak. Mm-hmm. And to go back to our point, Trey Ford, Canadian quarterback, seems to know the game pretty well. Absolutely. And what a performance from him in this one, man. Uh, 15 completions, 18 attempts. Like, that's so efficient. And he threw for 317 yards and a touchdown. So he wasn't he wasn't just taking short shots. He threw some good deep balls in this. He's a great threat on the ground to him. And ten carries, seventy-four yards, and a touchdown. And and that was uh, that's what really uh, impresses me about him. And did throughout his youth sports days and does now. He he's a very effective runner, and not not just a mobile. I can get out and make uh, make throws on the run guy. He is very good at picking up picking up solid yardage as a running quarterback. And. I don't think we see that as much in the CFL as we could. I think when the right guy is doing it, that is such a weapon for you. I mean, I think back to Mike Riley in particular and what he did with BC and then with Edmonton early in his career. And he was such a great rushing threat. And that that really screws up an entire defense when you have to pay attention to, oh, the quarterback is just as good as a running back and is just as likely to do a designed run as, as a running back. That messes with your entire coverage team. And I think that's something that's, and I think it's been really funny to watch that with Edmonton in this shift from Taylor Cornelius to Trey Ford, because Taylor Cornelius was not that. Taylor Cornelius was like, yeah, he can get her out there and move around in the pocket a little bit, but he wasn't running threat the way that Trey Ford is. And I think no, having no, Ford. No, because you, you've got a scheme for Ford running yeah. because he's so effective at picking his spots to do it. 
Exactly. And I think that having him there has given such a new dimension to the Elks offense. And uh, I mean, and it's been interesting of like, yeah, this is the first one they went home. It was their second win of the season. But like, even before the wins, like they were, as soon as they put him in, different team, threatening team. And uh, I think really the biggest question about the Edmonton Elks season is why were you keeping this guy on the bench so long? That that's going to be one that we'll be asking for years to come. Hopefully, uh, on the other hand, Ottawa's kind of had that spark about a month or two ago, where Dustin Crum came in, had mm-hmm. some fantastic comebacks, and now it's just it's sputtering to a halt. Yeah. I mean, uh, Dustin Crum had such a great start, and uh, that that first comeback was incredible. But yeah, I think it sort of tailed off a bit, and we do sometimes see that. Um, in particular, when teams get more film on you and they can prepare for you a little more, that can you have to you have to make your own adaptations. You've got to start figuring out, okay, how do I counter the counter? And I, I don't think the Red Blacks have been able to do that yet. Um. I think Crum certainly, he's got a lot of potential. He's a guy who I think could do very well in this league, and I don't think this is all on him. I think he needs he needs more from the line. He needs more from the receiving core. They actually, they got a very good ground game here. Devontae Williams, 12 carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. But uh, part of the problem there was they fell behind by so much that they had to sort of go away from it. I mean, this is this was a game that it was 27-8 going into the fourth quarter. So you can't really do too much on the ground at that point. I think the for I think for Ottawa to find success, I think it's got to be, um, especially when you're relying on a relatively inexperienced quarterback like Crum, it's got to be a balanced thing. You got to have the ground game. You got to not ask the quarterback to do too much and go out there and win the entire games for for you. And that's sort of what we were talking about with Hamilton too. Of that, they're they're putting their relatively inexperienced quarterback and Powell in a position to succeed. I don't think Ottawa did in this game, and I think that's something they need to work out. Yeah, we're back to the rookie American quarterback that we've been mentioning. It, it yeah, you, you could see the potential. And I could see the potential in Powell even a couple weeks ago when things weren't going so hot. But at the same time, just maybe not having a full a full knowledge of what this game entails is likely holding on to a back. Because there's a lot of times I'm seeing Crumb make one read, maybe two, and then looking to run. And yep. you can do that sometimes, but once teams clue in on that, it's going to be a lot harder to succeed. And I think that's what was Caleb Evans' issue last year too, was one read and then, okay, what can I do with my feet? Mm-hmm. And that's not that might fly for a little bit in the CFL, but once teams know that's what you're going to do, they'll find your favorite target, blanket him, and then say, good luck. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is one one area where the CFL really differs from the NCAA and where it is a jump from the NCAA. And the NCAA, especially at the high levels, it's very schematically advanced at this point too, of course, but it, there there are still a lot of cases where just talent wins out and where you've got a great athlete, it's very difficult to stop him. 
I've, the CFL obviously does not have the high-end talent of the NFL, and it doesn't have the high-end talent of a clash between NCAA Power 5 programs. But what it does have is a lot of professional players who have been around for a long time and know and know beyond like the initial calls. They know how to read things on the field. They know how to pick up on your little tells of what you're going to do. And so I think you, you really, you have to think a lot. It's it's not just your athleticism that's going to let you win out, especially as quarterback in this league. And I think that that's part of that adaptation process. I'm hopeful that Crum can get there. He's certainly shown great promise there. He is another Matt guy too from Kent State. I had a very good career there. And so I think there's a lot of things suggesting he could be a, a good guy in, the, in this league. But I think you're quite right that at the moment, he, he needs to sit there and go through the reads a little bit more and be a little more deliberate rather than just trying to make something happen with his athleticism. And in the right offense and in with the right coaching staff, with some development time, we could be talking about the next Canadian Football Hall of Famer. It's there, but you can't just you can't just force feed that. You got to nurture that. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind there too is because CFL is such a small league. I mean, this is a nine-team league, right? So you, you've got nine starters at any given moment. We talked about earlier how most of them are people every CFL fan would recognize. They've been kicking around this league for for a little while. There's only a small number of quarterbacks in any kind of CFL developmental thing at any given point, and so experience here is it's really hard to get and it's it, it, and it's as and for quarterbacks in particular i think uh, cfl quarterback is something a lot of people would like to do and there's always a lot of interest in it, not just in i'm going to go up and get some tape and try to get to the nfl but because cfl quarterbacks the starters are compensated very well compared to the rest of the league it's a, being the cfl court starting quarterback is a very desirable job and so there's a lot of pressure not just on the current stars to maintain those jobs but on those guys in those backup developmental roles if if they don't get done they're they're going to lose that spot All right, man. I'm moving on to next week then, because uh, i I think we've covered I think we've covered the spectrum of quarterback development pretty well. Mm-hmm. I would say we've spent quite a bit of time on it, but enjoyable conversation. Uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and start talking about next week. BC at Montreal to mm-hmm. kick off Labor Day weekend on a Saturday, so no Friday night football this week. No Thursday night football. That's done this year. Uh, mm-hmm. So the first taste of CFL action this weekend is Saturday night, BC at Montreal. I've got some thoughts here, and I'm not—they're not fully fully developed here. But I, I'm thinking that I like BC in this one because I trust their pass rush more than I trust Montreal's offensive line, and more than I trust Cody Vajardo to be quick with the football. Yeah, I think I think you're right on there. I think that I think this is a bounce back game for BC. Uh, obviously, they struggled a lot this week against Hampton, more than many people expected. I think this is a this is a chance for them to go and prove they're as good as they looked for much of the season. And uh, against a Montreal offense that really has not been great, especially in the passing game, and I, I think that defensive line matchup is really going to be key. Mm-hmm. It, it is an opportunity for Montreal to bounce back too, 
They'll have a couple mm-hmm. extra days of rest on BC, although both teams will have a full week on it. So nobody's coming into this one short, but Montreal's got an extra day or two to work on this. Uh, they've got they've got a chance to show that they're bet that they're more than just the team that can beat the teams they're supposed to beat. <laughs> to and, put yeah, lack of if, a better term, right? And if they do wind up picking up a win here against BC, that's huge for them. It has it puts them in good shape in the standings and it does really show. Okay, hey, this this could be a legitimate team in the playoffs. Yeah. Because, I mean, you get second place in the East, you're hosting a team that's inferior to you, then you got to crack at Toronto. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not easy, but it's one game. Anything can happen in one game, and then all of a sudden. (laughs) So, uh, nobody's catching Toronto this year from the looks of things, unless something dramatically changes. But getting yourself into second place isn't the worst thing. Uh, It gets you you a stepping stone to... um, Give it gives you a chance. It's the best way to put it. Now, now another team looking to give themselves a chance is Saskatchewan. They've been playing a little bit better as of late. BC's hasn't been as dominant as they have been. Maybe they're maybe they've got some designs on second place themselves, or maybe if they can pull off a sweep of the back to backs, maybe they have a few designs on first place themselves. But let's not get too carried away on that yet they're they're working on their third string quarterback jake de la gala is had a pretty good game his last game uh still working on that issue of lack of quarterback depth although he was with the team last year so he's not coming in as fresh as some of the eastern quarterbacks are and they're also at home on a on a weekend that means all that means a whole lot Usually isn't a great place for Winnipeg to play. And, and I have a lot of horror stories I can think back on, but yet <laughs> I still can't pull the trigger on the riders this week. Do you have any do you, do you have any thoughts otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think Winnipeg's obviously favored. Winnipeg has been the better team this year. But I think Dogal was really impressive in that last game uh, two weeks ago, that win over BC. Uh, and that, and I mean, yes, BC struggled this past week, but BC to that point had been such a good team. Dalgal was very impressive there. Uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions, did what was sort of asked of him. And I think is, Saskatchewan's got some things going for them. I think they're they've had they've had ups and downs this year. Uh, it it ha- hasn't been the season they were hoping for. I don't think, but. And I think in particular that loss to Montreal the week before, that was really rough, especially getting blown out. But I think they bounced back from that nicely with that home win against BC. Uh, they, they're now they're coming in off a bye. They're always going to be fired up for the Labor Day Classic. Uh, they've got a chance here. Yeah, I'm never, I would never write off the riders on Labor Day weekend. I just won't write them off. That said, I, I feel like the deck is still stacked a little bit too much against them. I'm going with Winnipeg. Never going to feel that comfortable on that weekend, though. Um, for them, they're at 500. They got two teams behind them that are struggling. The West, though, East is struggling. The, there was some talk of an Eastern crossover a couple weeks ago. That's kind of gone out, gone by the wayside with Ottawa fading. It's a chance for Saskatchewan to show what kind of team they're going to be. 
is these next two weeks are going to tell us tell us the story of their season i think Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, and those are always such huge games, Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl, and uh, they always get up for them, so we'll see how they do this time. Yeah, we sure will. Uh, going on to Labor Day itself, Toronto going into Hamilton, I don't think you got a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people are going to be picking Hamilton in this one. I'm not going to either. Again, though, it's Labor Day. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Hamilton win this one either. I mean, last year they were down to their third quarterback at this time of the season again, although it was his first start and they treated it and they, and they did not open the playbook much for him. They were still competitive at Labor Day. So now with Powell having what, basically a month's worth of starts under his belt, maybe even more upsets could happen, right? I think this is one where I'm even a little more confident in the underdog than I am in Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. And a, a big part of that is I think the Labor Day atmosphere in Hamilton is always such a thing. And L- Toronto's won some of those games, but like it's a, it is a really tough environment to go into. And I, I think with the way things have gone for these teams this year too, like I think there's certainly a chance the Argonauts are maybe going to be a little cocky here. Uh, and I, I, they're the better team. They're absolutely the better team based on everything they've done to this point. They should rightly be favored, but I could, I could see them losing this game. I think if Hamilton gets a great boost from the crowd, puts on a great defensive performance, beats Kelly into a couple of interceptions. I mean, I, I wouldn't count out the Tiger Cats. No, it's there. Uh, still trying to figure out where last weekend came from, though. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where that performance came from. I mean, especially in BC, they've struggled mm-hmm. mightily in both yeah. BC and Calgary over the past twenty years, maybe even longer. But they came up with a huge performance last week in BC. So maybe that maybe it's a start or something. Maybe it was a flash. Well, I'll know in a month. I don't know now. <laughs> uh, but speaking. Speaking of teams that are on the upswing, Edmonton going into Calgary. They're the hot team, surprisingly, considering where they have been. Uh, They're the team that everybody's been paying attention to. And yet I'm going Calgary here pretty much because of that. And because of what we mentioned before, where Calgary has been losing the games they used to win. The Mm -hmm. close games always used to go Calgary's way. They're not going that way this year. I think Calgary though, Calgary's shown over the past few weeks that they're competitive beating beating Toronto. Uh, almost beating Winnipeg. They left that game on the field. They were the better team that day. And then hanging in with Toronto as much as they did. I th- I think Calgary's a better team here. I think Edmonton's a good story right now. I think Trey Ford's got a future. I just think his first experience on Labor Day is going to be not his favorite. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about Calgary here. I think beyond being the home team, um, they're one win ahead in the standings, but they're so much better from a points perspective. Uh, they're down... Um, 
46 points on the year, whereas Edmonton is down and uh, down 92. So, I mean, that that's a wild difference. And it really shows you, like you were talking about, there were a lot of games that Calgary could have won and did not. Uh, I think it, it's also going to be hard for Edmonton here, and they're coming off such an emotional high after getting these wins, to the first two wins of the season back-to-back, getting snapping that streak that had been the, the such topic of conversation for some uh, for so long i think there is a potential letdown here for them i think they could absolutely win this if uh, particularly if they get another great performance from ford but I, I think calgary makes a lot of sense to me yeah that 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 that's the one i feel most confident in this week honestly i just think i think edmonton's on an emotional high but if they have, I, I think Edmonton's got a chance. If they're if they're <clears throat> in the game at halftime, they've yeah. got a chance to make a Steve roll. But I think Calgary has a chance. If, if Calgary gets off to an early lead, I think it steamrolls. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I think an important thing to note with that one too is, yeah, it's a three eight team against a two nine team, but. Both of those teams are still very much in the playoff picture, especially when it comes to the crossover. And Calgary, like a Calgary win here, they're in pretty decent shape, especially if Hamilton does does lose to Toronto. So th- there's a lot to play for for these te- for these oh, teams yeah. still. Yeah, there's four teams fi- vying for the sixth spot right now, and mm-hmm. could be could be five teams for the bottom two spots if Saskatchewan isn't able to make anything of the next couple of weeks because then they're right back down there too. Um, but I think that's about as much as we've got this week. Uh, any final thoughts this week, Andrew? No, I think it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great week, Joe. I mean, I always love Labor Day. I love the rivalry games. And uh, I, I think it's, it's a really interesting CFL season this year. To this point, we have two very good teams in Winnipeg and Toronto. And we've got a lot of teams that are great sometimes and great not, uh, not so great other times. So I'm really interested to see the stretch run and see how it shakes out. Yeah, yeah. Early in the year, we had like three tiers of teams, and now it's starting to become a mushy mess, and I'm all for that. <laughs> so it, I, it was great playing pick them in the first six, seven, eight weeks, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I enjoy this a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's, a good, it's a good level of chaos, and uh, the CFL is always good when there's some chaos. All right. Well, that's that's about that's better than anything I could say to finish this off. So I will let everybody go for the Rouge, White, and Blue this week. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.